I'll be reading verses 12 through 17. Hebrews 12, 12 to 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today asking that you would give our minds understanding of your word. It is truth. It is good for us. And while we are journeying together on the path to glory, we ask God that you would grant us these things that we read about here peace and holiness. Please make us a peaceable people, an outpost of your kingdom here on earth who have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and have been cleansed and live like it. Please do this work in us and through us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If I asked that you imagine a race, I'm going to guess that you would not have in mind a team relay. At least that's not the first thing that's going to come into your mind. I guess that you would probably think of an individual contest because that's most often what we will see, is it not? One man or one woman against all the rest. And as a competitor in a race, it would be that man's task to defeat everybody else in order to get the prize. So only one person crosses first, only one person gets the prize. But the kind of race that I want you to have in mind this morning as we look at the book of Hebrews is a community race. Where it's the task of everybody involved to make sure that the whole group, everyone, gets across the finish line. They aren't competing against one another. They're working together to ensure that everyone finishes. And I want you to imagine also what that group might look like. If you've got all sorts of various people they're trying to get across the finish line together, what might that look like? Some in the group are probably going to be young and fast, are they not? They're sprinters. They're quick. Some of the people in that group are going to be old and slow. Some are healthy, others not so much. Some of the people are limping. There are others in the group who are holding some of the others upright, trying to ensure that they are able to continue to walk. Nobody can be left behind. This is the kind of picture that's being painted for us in these verses in front of us this morning. A whole community called the church traveling to a common destination. We're all going together. 
Some are strong, some are weak, some are struggling, but they're all walking in the same direction, all going to the same place with the same purpose. And I think that we are tempted at times to believe that this is an individual thing, this thing called Christianity. And there are personal responsibilities that we have to be accountable for. But this isn't only an individual thing. We also take responsibility for one another and understand that because we are so interwoven as the body of Christ, we are so linked together that what one person does in the congregation has an impact on everyone else. That's the way it is within your own body, is it not? You know when something is hurt, the whole body in a sense mourns over it. That's the way it is in the people of God. This theme is stated for us here in the first two verses of our passage, verses 12 and 13. Look at it with me again, and you'll see, if you don't think of a race, at the very least, you're going to think of a journey. He says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Why? Because you need your body in order to travel. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He's talking to a people here who are journeying together, and they, are, they have hit a snag on the way. It's gotten hard. Life's gotten hard. Difficulties have come into their congregation, and their bodies are weak. Their path is hilly. And if they go on like they have been, their joints, he says, may become dislocated. Things will be put out of joint. So things aren't going very well for this church. They're tired, but they've got to keep walking. They have to keep moving, but they also have to do it together. They need one another. So here this morning, we need to understand as we look at this passage that as Christians, we have individual responsibilities, personal responsibilities that you and I must do on our own. We do. But you also have corporate responsibilities responsibilities for the entire church. This church needs you, and you need them. And I think we understand the individual aspect because we're told about that individual aspect out there in society so often, are we not? Society caters to individual freedom, individual authority, individual self-fulfillment, and so on. And the temptation for us will be to think about our journey to heaven as every man for himself. Well, I can't worry about what she's doing. I just got to take care of me, make sure I get there. But that's not the message of the New Testament. And it isn't the way that the writer to Hebrews is thinking right here. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you were saved to walk toward glory where Jesus currently is, you have been done so to do it in community. You need the community. There are times when you need help from other members in the body, and some of you this morning are there right now. You are limping you are tired. And you're pretty close right now to having your joints dislocated. 
And you need the other people in the congregation to pick you up. You desperately need that. And there are going to be times in your life when you've got to have your eyes open. Things are going well for you. But you've not been given that strength just for yourself. You've also been given that strength to help your fellow travelers. Sometimes we don't have our eyes open. We don't see what's going on around us inside the body, and we're not looking and noticing all the people around us who are struggling. So sometimes it's your turn to be helped. Other times it's your turn to be the helper. And sometimes it's all just kind of mixed in together, isn't it? Not always so clear cut. But the point is, is that we need the congregation, we need the body, we are a family, and we are here to do this together to help every person who calls themselves Kaz Church to get to the finish line. So looking at these first two verses, so don't think only for yourself. Be strong, get up, walk, think. There are other people here at Kaz whose hands are drooping right now. Their knees aren't doing so well. And it looks like they're about to fall down. Lord, please give me strength to help them. What we have here in front of us beyond these two verses are instructions for the journey together, what that should look like, what we need to focus on as a church what we need to aim at, what we need to watch out for and guard ourselves against. So before we go any further with the how, let me address the where. Where are we going? What's the end? Where's this path leading? And we've been told about this throughout the book of Hebrews. It's where Jesus currently is. He gave his life, he ascended into heaven, into the throne room, he's there at the right hand of the Father right now. Where he is, that is where we are journeying toward. But there's something pretty interesting in this passage right here in these first couple of verses. If you've not noticed by now, the writer to Hebrews is saturated with God's Word. It seems that every statement that he makes is made with an Old Testament passage in his mind, and this one is no different. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 35. And so it's going to be on the screen. You don't necessarily need to turn there, but I want you to see this because it tells us where we are going and what highway we are traveling on, what he has in his mind as he writes these verses right here. Listen to what he's quoting. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. There it is. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. He's describing the transformation that will take place from what we see right now to where we someday will be. Right now, jackals are lying there looking to devour people, but it's not going to be like that forever. We're journeying to a place where everything is transformed. 
everything becomes glorious. Right now it's hard. But then there will be perfect peace and joy. Now listen to what he says. This is the road we are traveling on to get there. And a highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. It's no danger there for God's people. They are protected and they are cared for. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What road are we traveling on? What does he have in his mind as he writes these words? He says, we are traveling on the way of holiness. And only the people of God shall walk on it. The unclean shall not pass over this. They are protected and cared for by their God. And they are walking to glory to a place where there is no danger. He's got us in mind. This is where we are walking together. And he understands as he quotes this that people are tired and they are afraid. That's why he says they do not need to be anxious. Say to them, fear not. God will guide you safely home. Don't be concerned. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't get weak knees along the way. Don't divert yourself off the path. Don't jump off the path. Keep walking together. Because we're tempted, are we not, to give in to anxiety and to fear. To begin to obey something else other than the word of the Lord. That's what we're tempted to do. But he has this passage in mind. Keep walking on the way of holiness. The redeemed will walk there. That's what Hebrews has in mind when this is being written. That's where we are going. So then get up, he says. Strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees. And as you set out on this journey on the highway of holiness to beautiful Zion, he says there are some things that you need to know. Be careful. There are pitfalls along the way. There are going to be people who come along and they promise you that this shortcut is better than the path that you're walking on. People who are going to tell you lies. And be careful because you're going to have a heart that might just believe them. Because if you know anything about your own body, when you are tired, you will do things that you will not do when you are strong. You will lay down, take a nap, you will take shortcuts, and you are willing to believe lies because the path has gotten hard. So first, he says, as you walk together, this is what you need to know. Strive for peace and holiness. So we need some positive commands. Tell us what we need to do. What should we be pursuing as God's people who are journeying on this path together? And he says, it must be peace and holiness. Do you see that? They're in your text. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Peace. Holiness must be in your midst. You must pursue these at all costs. And they're both beautiful treasures, are they not, that Jesus has won for you? He's won peace with God for us through his blood. 
So we have peace with God. We're declared to be a people of peace. We're also declared to be a people who are holy. So both of these are gifts from the Lord Jesus that you have in relationship to him. But both of these are things that must be pursued daily as well. We are not only called to peace with God, we are called to peace with one another. And so the writer of Hebrews understands that inside the church there's going to be all sorts of relationships that might just be strained. So though you claim to have peace with God, you may not have peace with all the people around you. Some of them might just be very difficult to get along with. They make the journey a little bit challenging. Interpersonal relationships are often very messy. The person that you have peace with today could be the person who wants to make war with you tomorrow. Maybe you've got some people like that in your life. Maybe you've even got some people like that within the congregation. I hope not, but maybe so. But because we are the people of God who have been granted peace with our Creator, His peace should be evident in the relationships that we have with one another. It should be seen. It should be our pursuit, should it not. This does not mean that we will not ever sin against one another. We have and we will. It does mean that when that happens, we are not satisfied to leave it that way. Sin breaks things, but the blood of Christ heals things. And the relationships that we have in the body of Christ should then be characterized by peace. This is a primary pursuit in the church. We represent the kingdom of God here on earth, do we not? It's a pretty high calling, but because we have the spirit of Jesus Christ, we have a strong desire for peace with one another, and we will pursue that. That means challenging conversations, does it not? Conversations that make me uncomfortable, conversations that make you uncomfortable. I mean, who really likes confrontation? The person who likes confrontation is the person who shouldn't be having it. They enjoy it a little too much. And there are those people out there, are they not? But inside the body of Christ, when sin happens, we know how to handle it, or we should. We are to repent of sin. We are to seek forgiveness. Pursue it. Ask for it. Admit when you have sinned. Don't put up all your guard and act like you never harm, hurt, say any mean things to any other people. It happens. And when it does, we know that we have a Savior whose blood has covered that sin. We don't hide from our sin as the people of God. We should be quick to admit it. But like any other sinner, we like to justify what we've done, make excuses for it, why we have chosen this particular path and pass the blame off on other people. It should not be so within the church of Jesus Christ. Repentance and forgiveness is the soothing balm of the gospel that brings healing. And if we confess to know that we have that with God, how quickly should we be to pass that along with one another? So as we journey to the heavenly Zion on the highway of holiness, this has to be our constant effort 
strive for peace with everyone. And he certainly means inside the church of Jesus Christ, right? Certainly means that. But I think he means more than this. And I think that's why he left it kind of general and vague when he says everyone. Everyone within the congregation. But as far as depends on you, the Apostle Paul would say, seek peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. So if there are people outside of the body of Christ that you have wounded in some way, you are to seek peace with those people as far as depends on you. They may not want it. They may not want reconciliation with you. They may want to harbor a grudge. They may want to, they may want to hate you to the day they die. But as far as depends on you, you need to seek peace because you are a child of God who has sought peace with mankind. So strive for it with everyone. Is there anybody who comes to your mind right now whom you might have sinned against maybe a long, long time ago? Somebody that you avoid because of something that's been said or done on your end. You've done something. And now you just avoid that relationship. You avoid talking to that person. You might avoid them here in the hallways of the church. You just navigate life in a particular way where your paths will probably not cross. Anybody come to mind? Something that you've done that you could seek to make right, but you just haven't pursued it because it makes you uncomfortable. Here is your command from the Word of God. Peace. But you might say, as long as I don't see them, there is peace. It feels pretty peaceful as long as I don't have to cross paths with that person. But you need to understand that's not peace. That's not the peace of the kingdom anyway. That's just the peace of avoidance. That's not what we're being called to. This is a peace that speaks of healing. The kind of peace that you have with the Lord he didn't seek the avoidance peace with you. He drew near. And so a good application from this for you and for me is to go to those that we have wronged and seek peace. And I'm not telling you to go to everybody that has wronged you. But on your end, if you have sinned, you seek to make it right. Do not let yourself off the hook. Because if it is here in God's word, and this is instructions for our journey, we need to understand that this is being said for our good. This is good for your soul. This is good for your daily walk with Christ. Just like you sweep the floors and clean out the house, so sin must be swept and cleaned from your own heart. He's telling you how to do it. Seek peace. Seek forgiveness the forgiveness that God has given to you. And not only will it be good for your soul, it will be a good witness to the power and the love of Jesus Christ that you claim as your Savior. Like what a good testimony about the Savior that we have. He is this kind of Savior who brings peace not only in our relationship with him, but he brings peace and healing amongst ourselves. And that when people look at the church of the living God, that is what they see. Man, these people are strange yeah, they do fight from time to time. There's problems there. But they don't run away from them. 
And they don't let that junk sit there and grow forever and ever, letting roots get down into the soil that there comes a time when you can't yank it up anymore. Now they pluck it out fast before it's able to take up the whole garden. That's what the outside world should look at and see in the church of Jesus Christ and the church here at Casnovia Park Baptist Church. The second half of this, we're told that we need to strive for holiness. We strive for peace. That's what we're seeking while we're on the journey. But we also seek to strive for holiness. Why? Why would he say that? Because we belong to the Lord, we represent who he is. And what is our God if he is not holy? He is pure, holy, set apart from sin. That's what his people are called to be. He delights in what is good. So then those who are pure, they will delight in what is good. God's children have been called to bear his likeness. They grow up to be like him. After all, we are on the way of holiness, we're told. And so what do you expect to be on the way of holiness but a holy people? It's a narrow path in the world that we live in, but holiness is our calling. We don't make excuses for sin. We don't couch it in terms to make it just seem like it, eh, it's not as bad. Sin is abhorrent to the living God, and Jesus Christ came to give his life for it. He died to have a holy people. That's what we've been called to. And we do understand that we live in an impure world, and we've got hearts that will lead us astray, will they not? They are deceptive and wicked. They will lead us astray, but they are being clean. They've been made new. But we live in this impure world. We live in a world that delights in what is unclean and evil, and it makes a mockery of godliness. But God's people, they know that there is a joy in the pursuit of holiness. It delights our souls. We have to guard ourselves against what would draw us away from holiness. And we need each other. You need the church for this. A person who's out there on their own, they're in dangerous ground. You've got to be around other people who will hold you accountable. We need one another. Because eventually we like to tell ourselves lies and make excuses for ourselves. But hopefully our brother and sister in Christ will not allow that. Like, oh, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> but you know that's not true. You're believing in lies. We need one another. Otherwise, we would not be told here that we must strive for it if it were not hard, right? You're not told to strive for anything. It's not difficult. You're told to strive here for holiness, it is challenging on the journey. You know that. I know that. Holiness does not come cheap or easy. It requires intentional decisions. It requires boundaries, places that I'm just not willing to go or things that I'm not willing to do. It's going to be difficult. And we've been saved out of a world where unholiness is normal. It's familiar. It's easy. Everybody's doing it. And because we are works in progress, we need another Christian to say to us, do you think it's okay to be doing that? 
Have you got anybody in your life, by the way, that's willing to do that? To challenge you? You think that's okay? Do you think it's okay to be going there? Do you think it's okay to be watching that? I think so many in the church need that posed to them. What do you put your eyes on? What do you put your ears around? Isn't all of that that you're paying attention to and immersing yourself in, isn't it unholy and isn't it impure? Do you have people that will say things like that to you? We must be challenged by the other people in the church to push back against the status quo of the world. Because we want to be a people who immerse ourselves in good, not make friends with what is evil. It's gotten way too easy to immerse ourselves in evil in the comfort of our own homes. Like maybe the home used to be a place where you could hide. (laughs) You got home, it's almost like a protective barrier from the outside world where nothing could get in here and harm me unless the people inside the house were dangerous. But if they weren't and you had a, a, a good family, you could at least control the environment. But it's not that way anymore. The world has found a way into our homes. Now, I'm not the guy that's going to say that all technology is bad or anything like that. I just don't think that's true. I think it's good for so much in the world. But we have to admit that it can be used for evil. And way too often, I think the people of God probably do this. Because don't you think that when you indulge yourself by binge-watching some filthy show or movie, do you think that it has no effect on your heart? Do you think that you can put your eyes and your ears on these things and just say, I didn't do anything to me? You're lying to yourself. And, so, and too often, I think what Christians probably do to at least make it look a little bit better is they say things like, well, I'm just trying to better understand how the unbeliever lives out there so I can better reach them. You ever heard that said? Oh, I'm just studying the unbeliever, seeing how he lives so I can grow in my skills and bringing the gospel to him. Or maybe they say things like, well, I just like art and culture. And I like to study art and culture, and this is art and culture, so what's wrong with that? Because it makes a mockery of God. The only time his name is used is so that it can be taken in vain. His law is mocked constantly. Fornication is put before God's people, and they act like it's love. And we invite those things into our homes. And do we expect holiness to come from that? There are some people in this room that just need to hear that and wrestle with what is being told here, that if you are striving, working, aiming intentionally at holiness, is that what it looks like? You're Netflix and chill. Do people even say that anymore? Well, that's what I'm just going to do. Delighting in evil. There are some things that just need to be lopped off. I think that's one of them. Maybe you think I'm a Puritan, but I tell you what, I love the Puritans. And they were a holy people. And they were not willing to compromise along the way to heaven because they knew what their inheritance looked like. So they did not indulge themselves, they did not give any room for sin. So yeah, they got that name, but you know where they're at right now? They are with Jesus. 
We're told right here, I mean, this is a punch in the mouth. In a sense, it says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We must be holy. It is a requirement. He has purchased holiness for us. And if we claim it, we will pursue it daily all the way to heaven. Jesus said something actually pretty familiar to that in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for what? They shall, they shall see God. We're told here, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God's people must be pure. And so if this is speaking to you in some sense today, and I think it probably could speak to everybody, could it not? We must strive for holiness like this and put a stake in the ground and say, like Job said, I will not set any evil before my eyes. Repent. That's what we need to be called to. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that that will cleanse us of our unholiness. And make no excuses for filth. God does not. Maybe we've become too desensitized to what is holy, unholy, and think nothing of it. But here is our command. Brothers and sisters, strive for holiness. So these are our two positive encouragements. Seek these things, strive for them. And when somebody looks at our congregation, that's what they should see. A people who know what peace with God is and peace with one another is. But also, this is a people who are holy. They love what is good and pure. They can mock us all they want, but we're on the highway together. And we're here to help one another, drag one another if we've got to, because we know the joy that is set before us. It's there with Jesus. We're also given three warnings here. We won't get to all of them today. So we've got the positive encouragement to pursue peace and holiness, but here we've got three negatives. He says, guard one another from these things. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. These are three things he's telling us to guard ourselves against while we are on this journey. Hindrances that will slow you down and make people sick inside the congregation. Watch out for this stuff. And you'll notice that the explanation for each one of these things will grow in length. But the first one is short. It's a short command. He says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. It's a pretty general statement. But notice what is clear. Three things are clear by him even giving this command to God's people. He is telling us the grace of God is there to be obtained. It's there. You can grab hold of it. It's available to you. Secondly, the grace of God is something that you need to obtain. You must have this for your journey. You will run dry and aground if you don't have it. And lastly, if you will live in peace and holiness, if you want to obey that first one that you were just told a moment ago, peace and holiness, you must have grace from God to obtain it. You need help. You need grace. 
And what exactly does he mean when he says grace? Because it is a word, is it not, that is used very often in the church without a great deal of definition. We just say things like grace and peace and like as if everybody knows exactly what's being said there. We sing a song. We sang it this morning, did we not? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Well, what is he even talking about? Well, here in the book of Hebrews, we've actually already been told at least what he means when he says grace back in chapter 4. He has told us that because of what Christ has done, he has entered into the throne room of heaven as our representative and peace, that we can approach the throne of grace. It's a place where we can go to obtain the grace that we need, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, we're told. So he's telling us something about this grace right there in chapter 4. He's telling us that grace is the strengthening power of God that gives us the help that we need. It's the empowering ability of God to provide to me in a moment exactly what I need to be able to seek peace with someone. The Spirit's power in me won by Jesus Christ for me. It is there at the throne of grace for me to go out and grab and have so that I can be a holy man of God. God will enable me with this thing he calls grace. And so we are being told here that this is available, we desperately need it, and that in your time of need you will be tempted to try and do things without it, just on your own. It's much more natural to us to sinfully proceed as though you don't need God and His grace. And so let's just say that you're about to have a conversation with somebody whom you need to seek peace with. Relationship is broken, and you charge headlong into that thing. And maybe every now and then the conversation goes well, but I would say often when you're dealing with sin and emotion and anger and maybe years of frustration, you need the help of God to seek His peace. Maybe you gain worldly peace with that person in that moment. You start to see things eye to eye. But when you're talking about forgiveness and repentance, you need the grace of God to help you in that, in that conversation. You approach the throne and you say, Lord Jesus, stand with me. Because I know my own heart, Jesus, that when I start talking to this person, all kinds of junk starts coming up, all sorts of emotions start to rise to the top, and I am going to be tempted in that moment to scream at them. But I don't want that. You came down to earth and you sought peace with me. You were willing to sacrifice yourself. You were willing to be humble. Lord Jesus, I need your heart. That's what he means by grace. Empower me, Lord Jesus, to have a conversation with this person where healing will take place. Gospel healing will take place. That's the kind of grace that we need. And so often we just act as though we are self-sufficient and do it ourselves. So we're told, be sure that the people in your congregation are availing themselves of this grace that is there for them. That they are to approach the throne to get it. 
And be careful that God's people in your midst do not get tired of coming back for the grace that they need every day. God delights to give. But don't you know it that his people get weary and tired of receiving? It's a strange thing. And so I ask you this morning, have you grown tired of approaching the throne of God? And are you failing to obtain the grace that you need? Do you even see yourself as needy? Are you trusting that Christ has made this grace available to you to genuinely help you in your time of need? And maybe that time of need is right now. And are you checking in with other people? If you kind of move on from the individual aspect of that, because remember, we are talking about journeying together. Do you take time to check in with other people in the congregation to find out if they are availing themselves of this grace that has been made available to them? And do you know of anybody here who might be failing in this way right now? Are you aware of anybody in this congregation who currently needs help? Any show of hands? Anybody need help? A lot more than are willing to put up a hand, that's for sure. Lots of people in this room may be tired on the journey. But we are here to do this together. God has put these people in your life to help you get across the finish line. Not to leave you behind. And if it's not already clear, because we are on this journey together and because we need each other for encouragement like this along the way, it is pretty important that we know each other. Isn't that kind of a requirement for all that's being talked about here? Like if this is going to be done well, then we need to know each other well. It's just expected when he gives this command, see to it that no one fails to attain the grace of God. How am I going to know who is failing to attain the grace of God if I don't know these people that are around me? And not only that I don't know them, and maybe they aren't making themselves available in some way, I have to make sure that I am available to the other people so that they can know me. Too often, I think, that people in the church, they will lament that no one is there for them in their time of need. And that is terrible. And unfortunately, it is often true. But there are situations where those people never let themselves be known either. They never let anybody come in to a place where they were vulnerable with them and told them things about their lives and told them things that they're struggling with. Nobody in the church ever became family. And let me tell you quickly, I guess, before we close about some ways that you can start to do that here if, if you aren't already. We, we do some things corporately that uh, I hope lend themselves to this kind of thing because we regularly will come together in some informal ways. I'll admit that Sunday mornings in this setting right here, at least with me personally, maybe this isn't the way that you find it, but this is not informal enough for me to really get to know anybody. I'm able to meet people, 
for five minutes or so, but I'm never really able to get to know anybody. It just doesn't happen in this setting. We come together here to worship with one another, maybe in the classrooms ahead of time, maybe in the kind of hangout time in between. You're able to learn a few things about that person, but you're going to have to spend more time than this with the people in this church to genuinely know them. And so what we do on Sunday nights, we come together for prayer. I'd like to see that number grow, not just because I believe in the power of prayer, but because I also believe in the power of just knowing the people here, growing as a family. We come here on, at 6.30 on Sunday nights, and we spend some time in God's Word, but a lot of it is just very informal family time. We just talk. We find out things about one another. We hang out for a little while afterwards. Sometimes maybe we're here a little too long, but it's because we're here as a family. We want to get to know each other. So I've learned more about the people here because they come to that prayer time on Sunday night than I probably ever have in 10 years of just being here on a Sunday morning. It's just different. And we don't make you pray out loud. We're not going to make you do anything that is uncomfortable. Even me asking you to put your hand up, I don't think I've ever done that in my time here. Raise your hand. I didn't really expect you to raise your hand. I mean, you could if you wanted to. But we're not trying to put people on the spot and on Sunday nights, if you come back and pray with us, that's what we're trying to do. You can sit there in silence the entire time if you want to. But you're going to get to know, just from what is said during that time, some of the people here. So I would hope that maybe you would choose to do that if you'd like to get to know the people in this congregation and for them to get to know you. We also have, we don't really have a name for it. It's just the first Wednesday of the month. We come together for dinner and prayer. We come together to eat. That's where people get to know each other is over a meal. After about an hour of hanging out with one another, we're going to hear a testimony from somebody. We do that every time on the first Wednesday this week. It's Rithika. It's going to give us, Rithika, you can put your hand up. We'll ask you to put your hand up, Rithika, up here in the front. She's going to share her testimony, 20 to 30 minutes, about how she came to know the Lord. And she's got a pretty interesting story. She came here from India, you know, about four months ago. She married Theodore, arranged marriage. Crazy right? <laughs> Wonderful. And so you'll get to hear her testimony this Wednesday night, and you'll get to learn a little bit more about her. So please come for that. We don't ask that you bring anything. Just bring yourself, eat the food. Maybe you can make better food at home. I don't know. I know it's easier to sit at home. Please don't this week. Just come. We're eating tacos, by the way, you know? <laughs> Who doesn't like tacos? Don't raise your hand if you don't. <laughs> Just bring a salad or something if you'd like. And then after church today, this is not normal. We just do this every three months. We have a business meeting. It just so happens to be today. You're all invited to that. We've got food downstairs, you know. If we run out of barbecue, we'll go buy more bags of chips. I don't know. We'll make sure that you're not starving. But please stick around with us and just hang out with God's people here and just get to know us a little bit. Uh, and we'd like to get to know you. So those are a few ways that you can do that. We have other small groups and people who meet together throughout the week. And as you get to know the people here, we'd love for you to be a part of that as well. Got the rummage sale coming up, VBS coming up. These are ways for people to serve with one another and get to know each other too. This is a good place to stop. We'll be back here next week. If you come back next week, this is just what we do. We'll pick up there in verse 15 with the other two warnings that we are given here, things to watch out for. But as we get ready to leave today, just these three, three things to remind you. 
Strive for peace and holiness. Strive. It is hard. And because it is so hard, we need one another to do it together. I need you. You need me. We need one another to get across the finish line and guard yourself from the temptation of self-sufficiency and forgetfulness that keep you from obtaining the grace of God that you need to live in peace and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. As a people, we want to be those who seek to obey it because it is best for our souls. We trust in our chief shepherd who is leading us on this highway. And what a beautiful highway it is. We leave behind everything that is unclean and filthy and harmful for our souls. And we're being led to a place that is fully redeemed. Everything beautiful and perfect, won for us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we know that you are already there. For the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. You despised the shame. And right now you are sat down at the right hand of God and you are preparing a place for your people. And we truly believe that you will come back for us. We are journeying. We are in the wilderness. But you will bring us into the perfect promised land. It is a small thing, or it should be a small thing, to set aside everything unholy, unclean, everything that is strife and hate, to set aside those things for what you have won for us. Give us the strength every day, the grace that is available to us at your throne. Give us those things daily, Lord Jesus, to do what is pleasing in your sight. You are our great provider. We need grace, and you gladly give it. May we never tire of receiving it. We trust all of this time and the business meeting into your hands, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the food that is prepared downstairs. We thank you for those who have made it. We thank you for those who will stay and just spend some time. For those who cannot, please bless them as they go. We love you and trust all these things into your hands. Amen.